Welcome to All Road 65 Max Radio, where the road ahead gets brighter as we journey toward truth, traveling through our dreams and inspiration into a new reality. It's time, and your ticket is waiting. All aboard All Roads Lead 65 Max with Pamela Henderson. Greetings. Thank you for joining me on BBS Radio, All Road 65. I am your host, Pamela L. Henderson. My focus is my mission statement to help create a quality of life through social growth, inspiring jewels to become leaders by establishing partnerships with corporations, nonprofits, donors, sponsors, volunteers, the community, and abroad. Join me every other Tuesday at noon here on BBS Radio, All Road 65 Max Radio. My special guest today is Mr. Ron Coleman. Mr. Coleman is walking across America to end the unconstitutional and tyrannical overreach caused by the government's endless state of emergency, he says. This Air Force veteran is fulfilling his oath to defend the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic, and he's doing it one step at a time, literally. Ron Coleman, a.k.a. The Gray Wolf, is putting out a call to action for all Americans to step up. It's time to tell the government their deception, election fraud, corruption, and tyrannical mandates are finished. He says, we the people have had enough. Our representatives need to actually represent us and defend our constitution, freedoms, and liberty. At last, thank you for this interview chance, Mr. Coleman, and welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me, Pamela. I appreciate that. You're so welcome. So how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. I'm uh, actually in Vandalia, Illinois, um, birthplace of our uh, 16th president's uh, career in politics. All righty. Okay. Is it hot out there or... How's the weather? It's been warming up. It's in the 70s here today, so it's actually not doing too half bad. Okay, okay. Well, we're gonna we have a lot to talk about. I'm gonna get straight to it, but I want to know a little bit about you. You served in the Air Force. How long did you serve in the Air Force? I served one tour of duty in the Air Force, and um, I got out of the Air Force in 1981. <clears throat> and uh, just it's been in my mind the, the whole time. You know, when you raise your hand to take the oath, when you go into the service, it doesn't have an expiration date on it. Okay. Okay. It doesn't have an expiration. That means that you can continue on if you wanted to, even though if you have already served your term. Well, you've got your active duty term. And then you mm-hmm. have the oath, and the oath is saying that you're you're defending the Constitution of the United States of America against all enemies, foreign and domestic, as you indicated in the opening. And that oath, when it's given and when it's when it's taken by all members of service, 
it doesn't come with an expiration date. So even though you may be just one term, you really are taking an oath to defend your Constitution, our Constitution, forever, for your life. Okay. Because my next question to you, I was reading, I was on your website, and I was reading, it was very interesting. And I have to ask, what do you mean when you said to expose and ultimately hold accountable all who abuse National Emergencies Act to suppress our constitutional rights and enrich themselves. What do you mean by that? Well, we've, we've really got to go back to this National Emergencies Act, which was, <clears throat> that act was passed on September 14, 1976. And the act itself is not what is in question. It's the declaration for the state of emergency for COVID-19 that is, in fact, the meaning. And what happened when, you know, first Trump's administration and, and President Trump had actually invoked it in March of 2020. And it's been renewed and renewed and renewed. But what has happened is a full-on suspension of our rights. We're going to lock you down. We're going to mm -hmm. tell you what you can and cannot do as Americans. We're going to tell you when you can go out and what you have to do when you do go out, wear a mask, or you're going to have to, to have this social distancing or, or whatever the case might be. And the facts are mandates of which they keep building on this state of emergency are just that. They are mandates. They are not laws. And we are a country of laws. So every single individual that has... Since the first day of, of, of uh, declaring an emergency that has overreached the boundaries to say, I'm going to toss this mandate in for masks, let's say. Now, everybody loves to say the mask mandates are pretty much gone with, but really they're not. There's still lots of places that you can't go into without a mask. I can't go into the VA hospital back there in St. Louis, Missouri without a mask. And so, although you can go into the corner store without a mask, there are still those that are that are holding to these mandates, or even though they're not there. And that's just one level. So there has been this this abuse to what the the original flavor of the Emergencies Act is. This Emergencies Act from 1976 was to help when hurricanes occur, when tornadoes occur, when when earthquakes occur. They're designed to allow the federal government to give aid to the community that has just experienced disaster. They are not designed to lock us as Americans down for two plus years and say that you're going to do what we tell you to do, you're going to take a jab or you're going to lose your job, or anything of that nature. And so those individuals that have been abusing that, they have to be held accountable. Investigations have to occur as to who did what wrong against our constitutional freedoms, who have been breaking our constitutional rights, and ultimately hold them accountable. So that is what I mean by that. Okay, great. Great. Because, you know, that was my next question, because I was reading about your focus 
And it was very interesting. And one of your focuses, you stated, was to end, as you stated, uh, the emergency COVID-19, which came out March of 2020. However, people are still wearing masks. I know that sometimes I am, especially when I go into a grocery store or where it's real crowded because people are still, you know, coughing without covering their, their mouth sometimes, sneezing and things of that nature. But I, I must say that I do think that sometimes that we, we, we are such as myself. I may be brainwashed because, you know, it, it was scary when it came out. So do you think that oh, it's a no doubt. COVID? Huh? There is a COVID. There's no oh. doubt. I mean, when we look at what COVID stands for, it stands for coronavirus disease. Right. And okay. what is interesting is, is that when you really pull the covers back on this whole thing, coronavirus disease, COVID, was, has been around for decades. And we even can pick up a can of, of you know, of a brand, uh, uh, well, of Lysol from five or six years ago. And right there on the label says that it, it kills the human coronavirus. And so it's been around for quite some time. In fact, when I have seen line item breakdowns of what was the PCR2 testing that was done, the PCR tests, and and you look at that, you see that the number one diagnosis on the line item test for PCR2 is coronavirus 229E. Now, anybody can look this up. Anyone can look this up, and you can Google this, and you can see that coronavirus 229E, yes, technically it's COVID. By design, COVID stands for coronavirus disease. So what is 229E? This is a variant of COVID that was dis that was discovered by a woman epidemiologist in Illinois in 1965. Really? So even though technically, yes, ma'am. And so it has been known as, and you can look this up, you can look this up and in, in, in Google it, coronavirus mm -hmm. 229E is the common cold. And so everyone that has got their PCR2 testing and can sit there and look at their line item sheet from the test and see that, yeah, they feel pretty bad. And then when they look down and they see coronavirus 229E positive, they just told you you have the common cold. And see, this is the problem. This is the, the abuses. They have scared everybody in the world, not just the United States, into believing wow. that when you pop positive for COVID, which technically when you have a common cold, you oh. technically have COVID then, oh my goodness, you need to now lock yourself down. You need to start, you need to, to, to wear a mask. You can't go anywhere. This is, this is exactly what I speak to with the attack on our freedoms. Now, I don't have a problem with anybody who chooses to wear a mask. Freedom of choice is number one in my movement. We have a freedom of choice. From the Nuremberg trials of 1940s and 1945 and up to 1947 with the Nuremberg 2.0, where it specifically states that we have to have conform and consent, consent, excuse me, in order to, to take a vaccine, for instance. But yet, we are told that if you don't get this jab, you lose your job. And more than 50,000, more than 50,000 active duty members of service 
have been discharged for a breach of contract. Because when we go back to that oath, we also sign a contract going into the service. And part of that is that you'll receive the vaccinations. Now, what they don't tell you is is that they're FDA-approved vaccinations. And you choose not to to take that shot. What happens? You're in breach of contract. You get a dishonorable discharge from the service. So over 50,000 members of the service that were some close to retirement have lost everything now. Really? They're sitting on the sidelines. Yes, ma'am. We have got that happening in the United States today. And that's one of the abuses I speak to, is to say, why are we discharging men and women who have been in our services for Mm -hmm. all this time? And because they choose, per Nuremberg Code, not to have a vaccine injected into their body, they're discharged dishonorably with no appeal process with no way to be able to say, hey, look, this is an unconstitutional act. This goes back to that state of emergency. Under the state of emergency, you've got Big Pharma is out there saying, we have an emergency use authorization to push these vaccines. They're not even truly vaccines. They're an mRNA experiment in reality, but they're an emergency Mm. use authorization. They are not. FDA approved. And the only one by Pfizer that is in fact FDA approved is community, mm-hmm. which you cannot even get. So that is a form of bait and switch. So if anyone really seriously digs in and looks, the state of emergency is this foundation that the government is using to build this huge building above. Mask mandates are simply one floor of that building. Vaccine mandates, another floor of that building. Title 42 on the southern border is another floor. The money going out to Big Pharma, the emergency use authorizations, and on and on and on, and the billions of dollars that are going to hospitals for simply diagnosing COVID are all part of this state of emergency that I am saying must end. And I'm not the only one that's saying that. I met on March 8th, I met on Capitol Hill with Senators Cruz. I met with... uh, Senators Ron Johnson and Senator Cruz, and five GOP members of the House on March 8th. There was a bill passed in the Senate. It was a joint resolution, SJ Res 38, 48 to 47, to end the state of emergency. Using 50 U.S.C. 1622, subsection 202 by Alpha 1, says that a joint resolution of the, of the both houses uh, of, the, of, the, of the Congress can end the state of emergency or, not and, or a declaration from the president. And now uh, Biden has said he would veto that. And I'm not sure that it even needs to go to the president since it says or the president. I believe that, it, and I'm not a lawyer, but I would say that looking at that particular ruling or that law, it says a joint resolution or now that that's been stalled in Congress. That was, a, you know, I met with them back in March and I asked Senator uh, Ted Cruz, what do we need to do to get our country back on track? How do we get exposure for those that have done what they have done to not only Americans, but to people around the globe, but 
let's let's hone in on just the United States, which is where my focus is. Right. What do we have to do? And he said, you have to get the people. You have to get the people. You have to educate the people of what has been done wrong and what needs to happen. And that will take the voice of many. And so there is a lot that goes down. There is a lot that goes down this path. If I can take this this foundation away, the building above it will crumble. So now when SJ Res 38 passed in the Senate, 48 to 47, was passed over to the House, the House and Nancy Pelosi's team refused to put it to a committee. Well, this means that we cannot use a petition, a, uh, a discharge petition, to remove it and get it out for a, vote, uh, for a floor vote in the House. However, there is a similar bill, virtually, virtually the same exact verbiage as SJ Res 38, and it's House Joint Resolution 46, HJ Res 46. It, in fact, is in active committee in the Transportation Committee, ends the state of emergency, but Nancy Pelosi will not schedule it. It's stuck in committee. So there is House Joint Resolution 46 is currently the that currently has a discharge petition against it, number 12 actually, that has 126 signatures on it to get it to the floor for a vote so that it can go and then go back over to the Senate for another vote and we can end the state of emergency. And then we can start bringing their house of cards down, which is what they're using to to keep continue to do that. Yeah. Okay, so when COVID first, you know, arised, I mean, it was really devastating. So from what you're saying and I figure it was the common cold. I've never caught COVID. And mm-hmm. that, that was because, you know, from, uh, I, I, I assume, I assume from wearing a mask when I was out and about, but I did smell something in the air that was not right. And I, I can't remember when one day that I went in, to put something out in the garbage and I didn't have a mask on. And all of a sudden, you know, I did sneeze a little bit, but I mean, hey, I, I came back in and I just start taking like some Theraflu, you know, cough medicine, and it just, you know, totally went away. But in your opinion, what was that? I mean, a lot of people died. A lot of people have died. And a lot, there's, you know, I'm not saying that there hasn't been a virus, a coronavirus that, but when you look at the statistics, and I have several doctors who've looked into the, into the efficacy. Uh, in fact, if you look at my supporters page on my website, you can see I've got Dr. Pierre Corey. I have Dr. Paul Alexander, and I have had conversations with many of these PhD level doctors. And yes, there is in fact a virus out there. The, the issue at hand is how deadly is this virus that is a cold. Well, you look at what the money that has been spent by the NIH in what has been proven by Senator Rand Paul with Dr. Anthony Fauci in open testimony has been specifically proven to be a gain of function 
that was performed. And what is being found is is that you take 229E and the world's population, that only 11% of the world's population per annual per annum would actually catch this virus. But now after gain of function, 80% of the world's population catches the virus. Now, just by pure numbers alone, pure math alone, if you make that kind of a jump, how many people with comorbidities that may not have caught the cold before now catch the cold are going to die simply because they caught the cold? A lot of people don't realize that you're not dying from the virus. You're dying from what's called a cytokine storm in your lungs. And it fills your lungs with fluid, and you're literally dying from from pneumonia. You're drowning in your own body fluids. That's what kills everybody that, that catches this virus. So the comorbidities is an extreme factor. And there has been treatments. All along, there's been treatments between ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, and proper methods of D3 and zinc. There have been methods to be able to curb and treat this disease as it comes in. And these are the, the, this is one, the FLCCC is, is, is promoting the fact that this has been a curable disease since the beginning. Even in 2005, Dr. Anthony Fauci did a paper, which is all being suppressed, but can mm-hmm. be found for those who dig deep enough. In 2005, Dr. Anthony Fauci stated that hydro, or not hydroxy, but chloroquine, was a miracle cure for coronavirus. In 2005, he said that. But then in 2020, he says, well, not so much. It's anecdotal data. Yet, it's been going on in the NIH since before 2005. How can that be anecdotal? So these are questions that very, very bright PhD-level doctors, thousands of them around the world, have come forward and said, hold on, this hasn't, you know, these, this, this superbug, if you will, isn't any more deadly than a common cold, just more contagious. More people get it. And if you're susceptible, then it can kill you. If you're already carrying a comorbidity, then absolutely. Now, I want to preface this. I'm not a doctor. I'm simply repeating what doctors that I am associated with have told me. So I come to find that a lot of people who had already health issues, like that had bronchitis and issues of catching pneumonia and just had a weak immune system, a lot Mm -hmm. of people had passed away. But it just was awfully strange how this disease, this cold, this virus, how it had taken over people's uh, bodies. And, you know, a lot of people just passed away. So that that had worried me. It it really and truly had. But also... I am already, you know, I, I was a pescetarian. I only eat fish, but now I'm even trying to even get off fish. I do find for my body to be even more healthier now 
because of some of the diet changing. What what is your what what do you believe about that? Is that something that we need well, to do? Because right now a lot of people think are yeah, I mean, you know, when you look at free radicals and things that that have been known for years, you, know, you get into an omega rich diet and it is mm-hmm. better for you and which which actually can come from that, which is coming from fish. I mean, it's 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 yeah. the omega three, for instance, you there is a lot to this and people that that eat better, that have a lot of the roughage, you know, you've got more vitamins in there. And we've already known that vitamin D3, that and a lot of these vitamins that that uh, that have been said to help you along with with uh, when you start feeling that that little tingle in the back of your sinus cavity to make pump up on your zinc intake. Um, these are things that that have been found to curb the if not a hundred percent, at least a large percentage of being taken down to where you're bedridden for a day or two, trying to drink this chicken soup and, and to get better. So diet is an important part of all of it. Yeah, I, I do agree. I do agree. Also, your other focus, you said to ensure National Emergencies Act is amended. So it can never be abused in this matter again. What, what, what do you mean by that? Again, it comes down to the fact that there's most people are looking at the act from 1976 is what I'm trying to end. I'm not trying to end the original ni- uh, September 14th um, uh, National Emergencies Act. Because if you look oh. back to 1906 and the, and the leveling of and, and the burning of the earthquake of, of uh, San Francisco, for instance. One of the reasons, you know, I'm a constitutionalist, so I look at it this way. Article 1 of the Constitution says that the purse strings belong to Congress. So when a national disaster would happen back in the turn of the 19th century, for instance, the money had to be responded to, a request for money from Congress. So you you set up this act so that if something happens that the money from the act and the declaration of emergency can occur that now forces excuse me but utilizes not not forces the ability for the disaster area to receive funding from like what you would know today as FEMA that okay. people go in and assist and they do not have to go to Congress and say we need if they're not in, in session, we have to have Congress come in and, and allocate funding for FEMA today. No, we have an act that allows that. So you have these acts for a reason. And what I mean by the abuse of these acts is when you do a declaration, which is what we're under now. We are under a declaration state of emergency where the foundation is the act from 1976. So the abuse is this continual renewal, number one, of the state of emergency. Because every 90 days, they're renewing this act or this uh, declaration. And then you look and you say, well, what does that really give them the power to do? It pretty much gives them the power to do everything and anything they want. And they're curbing our Article 3, our constitutional rights. Somebody somebody steps on your, your Fifth Amendment rights. How do you... How do you stop that? How do you hire an attorney to fight that? 
Well, we're under a state of emergency, and this kind of goes there, so it really can't help you out there. This is unacceptable. We can never have anything that stops the Constitution in its tracks for American citizens. So what I mean by that is go back and amend the 76, the 1976 Act with verbiage, amendments, or get rid of it altogether, rewrite it, and introduce a new act that says we're not going to suspend constitutional activities. No one can have their constitutional rights removed from them. Those are a representation of what are given to us by the God, by our God above. And no one has a right to suspend them. No one has the right to tell us that we cannot gather or that we cannot, uh, that we can't see our, our, our loved ones in, in the hospital just before passing away or have a funeral for them. No one has that right. But they have done that. And so these abuses have to be addressed. It has to be for a, an emergency, not that is one like this, the pandemic. Here we are today, two weeks, um, two and a half weeks after the president of the United States says the pan pandemic's over, yet we're still under a state of emergency. Why? Mm -hmm. Because that state of emergency is a convenient truth for them to shuttle billions of dollars out of the coffers and to still allow the emergency use authorizations for big pharma. Wow. Yeah. I never looked at it that way, but yeah, I, I, I get your point. So Mr. Wolf, you say we, the people have had enough of the tyranny. So what do you mean by that? Well, let me let me explain it this way. Mm -hmm. If we were to look at the fact that that fifty six fine gentlemen sat down in a room in seventeen eighty seven in Independence Hall in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and they sat there and they came up with what we know of as the Constitution of the United States of America, and then over the next few years they created the Bill of Rights, the first ten amendments. When when I'm saying the tyranny of it, I'm not speaking to the structure of the government. The government has set forth by those 56 fine gentlemen, the experiment, the great line from Benjamin Franklin when he was asked, do we have a monarchy or do we have a republic? And he said, a republic, ma'am, if you can keep it. These people that come into the structure are the problem. They are tyrants. They come in. They're supposed to represent us. They are voted into office by representatives of their districts, which is a whole other uh, line. You, know, you look at really where the money comes from from their campaigns and how much of it really comes from their own constituents. That's a question mark. And if I were to, to, to introduce Article 5 of the Constitution, I would say that we needed a convention of the states to be able to say that we need an amendment that says that if you're running for office, you can only take money from those who have ballots in their possession to have your name on it. You're not allowed to accept millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars from these PACs or from these 
special donors that are clear across the country from whom you represent. That's that's that was my sidetrack there. But but back down to it, the the tyranny is what is infesting the structure, this great structure. I wouldn't change anything about the structure of the Constitution of the United States. I wouldn't say anything about the Bill of Rights or the amendments as they stand or the Articles of Confederacy or Confederation. None of that. That's a great structure. So I'll put it this way to you, Pam. That is, if I were to have a pumpkin, it's October, it's Halloween. <laughs> so I'll use that as a, I'll use that as a good analogy. The the pumpkin itself is a great structure. It's a great structure, and inside of it, there's a bunch of seeds. Well, I can have this structure, but I could also have some bad seeds. So those seeds, to me, represent the individuals that are tyrants. And what do I mean by tyrants? They t- they abuse. Mm-hmm everything from the moment they get in there. And that's not just elected officials. That's also the bureaucrats that are put into office by those electric, by those officials. And they themselves think that they don't have to answer to anyone. I am not voted into my position on the seventh floor of the FBI building. So I don't have to do what the American people tell me to do. I only have to do what the executive branch leaders tell me to do. And see, this is the problem with America today. We need to end this tyranny. We need to take those bad seeds and dispose of them, leaving the structure to be filled with good seeds. And how are we going to do that? How are we that going is to take the million-dollar question. That is the number <laughs> one question. And I'm glad you asked that. Simple one-word answer. Right. People. Here's the thing. In Mm -hmm. all of history, in all of time, throughout written records, dynasties have fallen when the people have had enough. When the people come together and they can come together in so many and they can point at the individual and say, you work for us. That's when you make change. And when I sat down with the senators back in March, and I sat down with the the members of Congress back in March, I sat in in front of Sam Graves, District 6 of Missouri, and I said to him, and I said to him, I said, so you're, you know, you can't do anything. I wanted him to just simply, see, I'm a nonpartisan. So it doesn't matter to me. Yes, I am not a Republican. And I am not I am not a Democrat. So I look at things pragmatically. I look at things straight up the middle and I look and say, what makes the common sense of this? What is common sense and what is constitutional? Okay. and so I looked at him and I said, I would like for you to reach across the aisle and tap a few Democrats on the shoulder and have them meet with me. And he looked at me and he said, I can't do that. And I said, why not? He said, because we don't have the power in the House. I said, why do you need the power in the House? Well, because, you know, we're not the majority. I said, since when have we reduced this to where you can't even reach across the aisle and tap someone on the shoulder and say, hey, you got to listen to this guy. I know you got friends on the other side of the aisle. 
but you refuse to do that and you're being deflated because you have no majority. And that to me is absolutely incredulous. It's wrong. And so I, I said, you mean to tell me that we have more power than you, our legislators that have been voted into this position? And he said, yes. And I said, so I was originally with the convoy that went across from Adelanto, California, all the way to Hagerstown and saw every bridge, all but maybe 10 bridges, just stuffed with American patriots and flags. All but maybe 10 bridges all the way across the country. And I said, you mean to tell me I need to go back to those same people? Because you know that they weren't listening to, hey, these truckers are coming on the mainstream alphabet soup media. So they were listening in other channels. They were listening in independent venues. We need to go back to them and tell them to come to D.C. with me? And he said, yeah. So there is a long answer, which I often give, to your simple question of <laughs> what do we do? I love and, it. <laughs> and, and that's, that's it. Right. the people. The more people we get, I mean, I am seriously looking to turn this into the biggest first in America real Forrest Gump deal where every uh -huh. single body that believes in the Constitution, that believes that that we have the power as the people of we, the people, stand with me and for change. walk for change. to yes. D.C. For the change. We have still got the Tenth Amendment. The Tenth Amendment mm -hmm. gives the power of, to the states and their sovereignty. Walking across the states is not, it's not just for a federal change. We need state change. change. We need mm -hmm. changes at the state level, and we need changes at the city levels. And so what I'm doing can be duplicated in all those states where I'm not representing. I'm representing all 50 states as far as I'm concerned. But where I'm not walking or where you can't come and touch base with me, then everybody, anyone, anybody can do this. This is so simple. It's a, such a simple thing. When the people come together in voice, it's never been done in the United States. You look at the fact that we had our, our Revolutionary War, who was that against? That was against King George III. You look at our Civil War that we had in the United States, 1863, 1865, and that was one political party pitted against a second political party that had been split up in 1855, in 1855, excuse me. And President Lincoln was our first Republican president. And as a result, you had the Union and the Confederacy using the people against, the, against these political venues. That wasn't the people against the government. That was the Confederacy, no. which was the prime, the the majority of the Confederacy was Democrats, and the mm -hmm. Union, which was a majority of Republicans, pitted against each other, and they were using the people to fight the battle. So now, for the first time in American history in 245 years, it is the people, and I'm saying this peaceful. Right. Peacefully needs to be done. The people 
come together, unity, all colors, all shades, all all uh, uh, Christ, uh, Christians and you know, well, Baptists and Muslims, and you, I don't care what your den- what your denomination is, and I don't care whether you're a Democrat, whether you're an Independent, or whether you're a Republican. I don't care. We are Americans first, and we come Absolutely. together. We unify, and then we let them know in the state houses and in the United States Capitol who they work for. And that's when change will occur. Well stated. That was beautiful. I noticed what one thing that interested me about you, especially going on to the website and reading a little bit about you. You... You, you commence these walks and Mr. Wolf, you walk for freedom and you, you, have you gone to Vandalia, Illinois? Have you done that already? Or I am are you, is that... in Vandalia. Okay. And, uh, yeah. I have already in fact been to the state house here, which was Illinois' first state house was in, uh, uh, not in Springfield. It was here in Vandalia. And in okay. 1834, President Lincoln at that time was um, running with the Whig Party, actually won his seat as a representative for the people of Illinois. And so he came here to this particular state house. There's actually been three buildings, but in, in the current building and the one prior to it, um, which uh, was destroyed by fire um, later on, but in 1836, Representative Whig Party Representative Lincoln was there in that state house, which which is across the street from the current and existing one. And then he fought. He gave his first speech in 1836, actually, um, to the General Assembly in this particular state house. And that first speech, which was a long one, was about civil rights. Almost tw- almost 30 years, over 20 years before he became president. And so I've been here to this state house and I have been in the room that Abraham Lincoln gave that speech and you can feel him. I have put my hand on the banister that pre- that Abraham Lincoln used every day that he was in the state house and I have visited the Supreme Court room where he received his law license. So that's where I am right now. I am in Vandalia, Illinois. We're taking a little bit of a pause um, in the in the walk for for a little bit until elections are done because there's a lot of uh, a focus that you know, the elections are taking the air out of the room. Um, so we're we're taking a breather in in here in Vandalia, and hopefully we'll be able to drum up support to get the people to start to come out. And realize that no matter what the elections provide on November 8th, we still yes. have issues to contend with. Yeah, we have a, a lot of issues. And I'm going to take the time, two, three minutes, to let you uh, discuss a little bit about me, my mm-hmm. focus, and my mission, my passion, again, through my foundation. So my name is Pamela L. Henderson. I'm the founder president of 65 Max Foundation. 
I am so grateful to having a voice and be able to talk about, you know, some of these discussions such as what we're having right now. But really what touched my heart that I am an advocate to is to help empower our girls. And the reason why I am an advocate, in 2010, my daughter, who barely survived a domestic violence relationship, had her children removed from her home due to neglect. Like any parent, all I was thinking about was how I can help my daughter and keep my family together. Here I am an entrepreneur on my own journey towards success and I became an advocate to save a child's life going through this court process with my daughter during this time. I had noticed that there were very little resources for girls at risk, such as my daughter who could not communicate effectively in front of a judge without being angry or emotional and or depressed. I watched my daughter lose her children to the abusers and their caretakers. I watched my grandson who had regressed drastically lose his eyesight and his right eye by 90%. He developed a twitch in his left arm from his nerves being disrupted and his teeth were turning in his mouth due to poor hygiene and care. My granddaughter, who was three months old, was given to her father, who was the current abuser. And within three weeks, the father went to jail for murder for eight years. My granddaughter was given to his father's wife, who had no children of her own. And I watched my granddaughter, who suffered two broken arms and a broken leg, and my grandparents' rights were taken away. I began research during this process, and I had come to find that 85% of girls who are at risk wanted to reconcile with their children, and only 15% only we could not help due to drugs. So in 2012, I established 65 Max Foundation that focuses to help empower girls who are transitioning through foster care, battered girls of all ages, who are truant in school or having family problems, also veterans and homeless runaways. I created a blueprint for my program that is designed to help build customer service skills and self-esteem, confidence and integrity. I believe that mental illness and behavioral problems are two different issues, even though they have similarities, they are two different concerns. The program offers a three to six month mentor internship that would help each individual to identify, take responsibility for herself, no matter what profession or career she would pursue. She would have a platform to be heard. Also, she would attain the tools needed to communicate effectively. Now, what sets me apart from others? I am a sapphire who have experienced on my journey from being ostracized, bamboozled, shunned, bullied, put into a financial hardship for over 10 years. Most importantly, I was lied on and misjudged and I do not wanna see another Jewel or her family go through this pain I had suffered for over 10 years. And I'm able to tell my story now, as you see so clearly, because I'm not a victim, I am victorious. And I know that my 
Prince works. I shared my business plan with here in my community with Supervisor Federal Glover in 2014. And in 2015-16, he launched the Y Summit. And I attended both years and my foundation received awards for both years. In 2021-22, I shared my blueprint with Principal Phyllis James, who my grandson attends currently at Black Diamond Middle School and who is an A-plus student as I speak with a GPA of 4.0. And as today, Ms. James integrated some of my program modules into her Girl Empowerment Program that acknowledges girls as jewels as well. I have congratulated the Principal James who has included my blueprint into her program and it works. In 2015, I have established my e-learning program that is offered worldwide, online or in classroom. And at the end of their stay, and she finishes her training, she would receive her certification of completion. Also, she would have the opportunity to apply within the foundation that will create jobs or who will have the resources from current partnerships to apply for jobs so she can move forward into social growth. And I have taken all this and I am now a award-winning author of the new book, A Journey of a Sapphire. The book is about a girl who overcame adversity and uncertainty on her journey towards success. And I hope to inspire others who are or who have been through obstacles and challenges to never give up on their dreams and how to recognize behavioral problems. And with God that being said, that. thank you so much. And with that being said, and I just had to explain that because that is totally important that we speak about our walks and our focus. And my Absolutely. next question to you is, what about the other walks for freedom in other cities you have done? And why are you adamant about getting the word out once again? I believe, uh, thank you for that question, Pam. That's really, uh, really, I've been struggling. This is my first walk. And I, my first time was, I started on uh, February 21st of this year in participating in a convoy, a trucker's convoy that left Adelanto and went across the country. And during that, I, I saw so many people, so many people. And I mean, I, you know, I'll tell you, I, I saw, I did an interview on February 21st, or 22nd, uh, with live feed, uh, YouTube. And, uh, and I left Adelanto on the 23rd with the convoy and started moving east. And by the time we got to the border on day two, we got at the end of day two, we got to the border of Arizona, New Mexico. And at the border there, we were we were asked to go ahead and park our trucks and our vehicles, our campers, our cars, and so on, on the side road to the freeway, and that would be Interstate 40. And that is Navajo country. Um, so 
we did. And it was just at that time when we parked, it was 11 degrees outside. And I looked across the street and I saw bonfires. So I put on my jacket and, uh, and a hoodie and I, and I mean, a, a mask, uh, over my, uh, my head since it was so cold. And I walked across the street and to my bewilderment was a bunch of natives that were welcoming us to join them for dinner. They had fixed dinner, authentic Indian food, fry bread, beans, pork, um, and they were being served by native men and women, some in their 80s. Wow. And by the time I had finished the dinner, it was nine degrees outside. And these Ooh. people opened themselves up for us to come join them. Now, on the second, on the day, on the next day, we had an individual showed up got up on the stage as we were getting ready to leave and introduced himself. He's the vice president of the Navajo Nation, the largest Indian nation in North America. And he prayed for us. And he finished giving us a prayer. And then he said, the Navajo Nation is 100% behind your movement. And he sent us on our way. I went across the street to use the facility since we were parked on the side of the street back at this location. And I came out of the facilities uh, across the street, which is a Navajo-owned truck stop. And I saw this gentleman who was uh, looking like he was praying to the, at the front of my truck. And I approached him and I says, can I help you? And he pointed at me and says, you're Gray Wolf. And I said, yes, sir. And he had tears running down his face. He says, I was, I, I live near Sacramento, California. And I saw your live feed from the 22nd. And I immediately, I wasn't going to do anything. But upon hearing you, I decided to pack my bags, toss them in my car, and find you. And I have found you. I have driven all the way till I could find you. And he come over and he gave me a hug crying. Wow. That was my first real deep movement to have this gentleman get off his couch, pack mm -hmm. his bags and come and find me all from a 13 minute video that I had done on the 22nd of February. And so that empowered me even further. When I got to, uh, a place known as Big Cabin, Oklahoma. I was the second truck to arrive, and I really had to use the facilities. We'd been driving all day. So I got out of the truck, and I ran to the outhouses. When I came out of there, relieved, feeling good, like, okay, great, I took a whiff, and I said, wow, something smells really good. And I turned to see that the locals had come out, and local steer meat had been processed and was turned into these huge burgers. And I stepped over and got a plate, started fixing it, got condiments on the big bun, and I kept hearing this eagle squawk. And I turned to see who's, I got their phone that was 
a ringtone of an eagle squawk. Loud. No one. I looked at the woman that was cooking the burgers, and she was looking up, and her chin had was dropped. Her mouth wide open as she's looking. So I look up, and here is this bald eagle about 50 foot above us just circling us. Wow. Just circling us. And I looked back at her, and I said, is he a pet? And she looked at me, and she says, no, sir. He flew in with you. Wow. And I was, really? I was whoa, goosebumps. <laughs> I'm like, I've got a bald eagle. And I ran back to, to Brian Brazi, who was running the convoy, and I said, Brian, we have an eagle. Of course, he was on the phone, so he really didn't hear me. But I just thought that, you know, on the wings of an eagle, freedom shall come. And I, then in the third one, and this was the one that really took it to heart. And if you've been out on my website and if you go down, you'll see that I've got a section called uh, interviews and meetings. And then there's the news. And back in March, you can actually see the actual meeting I had on Capitol Hill with the senators. You can actually view that there. And I said, you know, so I got to Cuba, Missouri. And when I got to Cuba, Missouri, we spent the night, and the next day we were getting ready to leave. And as we're leaving, the state patrol, the state patrol says, "Hold up." I said, "Okay." So we've got to do some work out there with cones on the highway for entry. So we're going to have to put a hold on you guys for a few minutes. So, all right. Got out of the truck, and I'm walking out onto the grass. There's a grassy area, and I see this family. It's two children, and and a wife and a father coming at me. And the mother says to me, she says, are you a truck driver? And I said, yes, ma'am. And she puts her hand out to shake my hand, and I put my hand out. And when she touched my hand to shake my hand, it was as though she received an electric shock. Her knees started to collapse. So I wow. squeezed tightly, and I pulled her in, and I'm mm -hmm. bear-hugging this, this lady. And she is sobbing on my, on my shoulder. And she's telling me, my ear, that she's concerned about the future for her kids. Aren't and, we all? <laughs> yes. And I, and I looked over and her husband was getting ready to fall. I grabbed him and now I have her in my left hand and him in my right hand arm. And I'm hugging both of them. And they're sobbing, uncontrollably sobbing. And I looked right straight up the middle and I saw those two children. And I thought, do you think they've ever seen their parents do this, anything like this before? And I doubt it. But wow. I can guarantee they're going to remember this moment for the rest of their life. And so That's will I. Amazing. That is so beautiful. So when I got to I'm Washington, D.C. Well, yes, we're up for time here. Me and you can go okay. on and on and on. <laughs> <laughs> But it was oh, yeah. phenomenal, I must say. And uh, my just my last quick question to you before we go. Is there anything else you would like to share before we leave this call? And how can someone would, contact you? Okay, so let me tell you. I have a website is www.graywolfwalk.com. 
And that is gray with an E, not an A. So that is graywolfwalk.com. I live stream out to seven different platforms. Um, donations can be accepted on the website. Everything can be done on the website. As you pointed out, Pam, It is. you can find out anything you want to know about the walk. I'm in Vandalia, Illinois. And I would just say we need to get the people and lots of them. Let's make this a first ever real-life Forrest Gump event. I like that. Forrest Gump. And I watched that movie, too. That was great. That was beautiful. Absolutely. Mr. Coleman, it has been a pleasure having you on my show, and I do look forward to chatting further in the future. So please stay in touch with me. You bet I Thank will. You, you bet I will. <laughs> and good luck on your endeavors. Well, listeners, I have reached my destination. I am going to, as always, I leave you with this quote. Once you realize that you can do something, it would be difficult to live without yourself if you didn't do it at all. Mr. James Baldwin. Cheers, everyone. I hope you enjoyed the show and do enjoy the rest of your day. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to All Roads 65 Max Radio with Pamela Henderson. Join us every other week on Tuesdays, 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on BBS Radio Station One. And please visit allroads65max.org and become a volunteer or sponsor and be the change you want to see in this world. With your help, we can make a difference in our society and uplift those who so desperately need our help. Thank you for tuning in.